0: you're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. We're this brand new series uh, that's called Covered in Dust, and actually, before we get into the series, I wanted to just read a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., since it is Martin Luther King weekend Um, and i thought it kind of tied into the message so i think it's kind of two birds with one stone but dr king says this morality cannot be legislated but behavior can be regulated judicial decrees may not change the heart but they can restrain the heartless. I remember when I was a a college student taking an African-American history course um, about the, uh, basically 1877 until now about the rise of the Civil Rights Movement. I just remember watching Martin Luther King, as you guys I'm sure all have on that YouTube, the grainy YouTube video at the Washington Monument, I think it's like 1964, and he's giving the the I Have a Dream speech. I just remember chills going through uh, my my body. uh, I mean, it just felt like ele- electricity, because it's just kind of like, I think, in reading history books, we see so many catalogs of history over and over again of just godlessness. And you as a young Christian in a secular university, I remember asking the question, like, where is God in all this? Like, I thought God was the history. I thought it was his story. And, and I think that uh, Dr. King and of course, as many others that, we'll read, that we read about in history um, show that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it is advancing, and it is doing things, and it is vocal, and it is moving, and it is active, and so, yeah, I, just, I think we just celebrate his life as a church and as a family this week um, as just somebody who represents the kingdom story right in the middle of the history books. So, um, if you guys have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 5 today. Um, We are moving through a series called Covered in Dust that's all about following Jesus with every moment of life. The disciples would follow Jesus so closely, uh, the blessing was read to them that there would be dust covering them. And the blessing was that if you follow your rabbi, in this case Jesus, close enough that you would get every particle of him, every kind of um, small moment, every kind of whisper, every kind of nuance or mannerism um, would be um, incarnated and and watched by these disciples so much so that they'd say, you were covered, you're completely covered in his dust. And because we're studying from January through June, we've got a lot to look at, we've divided things into segments. Uh, Each of them starting with a following Jesus in this such and such way. And so the very first segment we'll look at is Matthew 5 through 7, which we started last week, called following Jesus from the inside out. Everybody say inside out. Inside out. out. That's right. Because Jesus is teaching that uh, for us to be more righteous than the Pharisees, he actually says in in one of these uh, parts of the sermon, He says, I'm going to do what Moses couldn't do. I'm going to do what the Ten Commandments couldn't do. I'm going to change you. Um, You are going to be more righteous than the Pharisees and and, and these disciples who have no sort of pedigree or any understanding of the law or any sort of religious acumen. Just look at him and say, how are you going to do that? And, and, And in between the lines, we can sense the Holy Spirit saying, because you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it in you. I'm going to transform you from the inside out. I'm not going to write the covenant on a, on a stone at the top of Mount Sinai. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach from the mountain of Galilee, and I'm going to transform you with my power from the inside out. And so we started with this concept of poor in spirit. And this was the quote, if you're new here, if this you missed last week, I just want to catch you guys up. The quote on the screen is that the, the, the poor in spirit life really just simply looks like this. Poor in spirit life looks like prayer. It's pretty simple that poor in spirit life discovers that we're not enough without God. And so the access point of transforming from inside out just is prayer. And a prayerless life, an independent life, shows itself by prayerlessness. It just shows itself by planning and moving on and not asking and not seeking and not knocking. It's just independent. It just sort of does things. And he's saying, You can't be that, you can't be more righteous than the Pharisees. You can't even be, you can't be even a speck of righteousness without me. But with me you can do all things. And, and prayer, prayer is the access point, it's the vehicle, it's the place where he begins to transform us from the inside out. And so Jesus, now I ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that so you would begin to transform us. We, we can't take our next step, we can't be covered in dust, we can't be transformed, we can't have wholeness, we can't have peace without you. And so our first, the words that come out of our, 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 our lips when we open in prayer is just, we need you, we need you. We need you to show us what we don't see, we need you to give us a boldness to go towards God. Things that 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 scare us, rather than run from them, we need you to soften us in our stubbornness, and, and we need us to um, begin to make us moldable again. Um, in Jesus' name, everybody say, Amen. And so. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite movies, you guys have maybe seen this, especially if you're older than a certain age, like you know, my age, let's say, you probably saw this movie called What About Bob that came out in 1991 starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, I went to the theater with my mom four times and watched this movie, What About Bob, because I just even at six and seven years old, I thought it was absolutely hysterical. Bill Murray is just a genius. He has that kind of like, I'm a doofus, but I don't know I'm a doofus kind of look on his face all the time and just pulls off the, the humor really, really well. And the guy I plays, Bill Murray plays in this movie, He's kind of a crazy guy, and he's just so crazy that he actually goes and visits the psychiatrist, and his craziness is so crazy that he actually makes his psychiatrist crazy, which is pretty crazy if you think about it, right? Like, he stalks him out to Camp Winnipesaukee in his vacation home in, in New Hampshire and totally makes Richard Dreyfuss crazy, which is actually crazy because the actors didn't like each other at all, which is a, a little-known IMDb fact. Uh, but they didn't like each other. All, it always plays well into, into the, the cinema of the whole thing. And so, just a couple of pictures to catch you up if you haven't seen the film. This first picture is actually, uh, is it this one? Yeah, I think this first picture, oh yeah, the next one is, um, is like, uh, uh, Marvin, Dr. Marvin's trying to like lay down boundaries, like, now, Bob, I'm on vacation, you're a client, that's my professional work, you can't follow me on vacation, and like, Bill Murray's looking at him like, I don't think I understand what you're talking about, what are you talking about boundaries? I have no idea what you're saying right now. And so the next slide here uh, um, is when, actually, uh, Bill Murray, uh, over here on the right-hand side, when Bob shows up at this interview that uh, Richard Drivers is super nervous about on the Today Show and totally ruins the interview, which is just great. And then the next slide is a picture of Bob on the sailboat, which is fantastic because the daughter doesn't like the dad, Dr. Marvin, and so uh, they're in this fight, but then, but everybody loves Bob. I mean, everybody loves Bob because he's just kind and cordial and nice and fun and affable, and, and so anyways, Bob is like terrified of the water, so he ties himself up to uh, the sailboat, and his, my favorite line in the whole movie is when he keeps saying, ahoy, I'm a sailor, I sailed, ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. So, just to catch you up on some of those scenes, if you hadn't seen the movie. And I remember asking my mom at that time, even at a young age, like, what was wrong with Bob? Like, he was likable, but he was a little bit weird. There was something kind of funny and quirky about him. And my mom starts telling me for the very first time when I was six or seven about this thing called OCD. You know, it's like some of us have this in the room. I have this. We all kind of have this to some degree or another. But there's this thing called OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And the way my mom explained it to me as a six and seven year old, she's like, OCD is when you can't control the big things in life. So you try to control the little things in life. Which was a great, isn't that a great definition? You can't control the big things in life, so you have to try and control the little things because you can't control the things that you really care about and want to control. And this is why Bob has a fish bowl just tied around his neck, you know, because he's afraid that Gil, his fish, is going to die. So he takes him on the trip to Camp Winnipesaukee, he locks his door eight times before he leaves, he checks the coffee pot every time, he can't take the steps, you know, he washes his hands with hand sanitizer all the time, because he can't control the big things in life, so he's trying to control the small things in life, and as I took that definition with me, I kind of wanted to, to say to my mom every couple of years, like, isn't that kind of Everybody though? Like isn't everybody like a little bit OCD about something? I know we're not OCD about everything. I'm OCD about my my computer stuff. I don't know if anybody's here, but I used to back when we owned music on iTunes, back before Spotify, I'd like, I would make sure that all of my songs, they're all no, I don't want all lowercase letters. I want the capital letter, I want the proper nouns, I want it all just right. I want my contacts and my phone. No, I don't want just the email address and random at yahoo.com. I want all the email addresses to be just right. I want I want the computer things. I have there's a button on the Apple. Phone under under general that you can pre- reset all the settings. I like all the apps just the way that they are when they come back. So that's just my OCD thing. I don't really care about a lot of things in life, but I but I care about these things. And and you have your things too. We all like want to be in control of some things. We all want to hold the remote control. We all want to drive, or if we're in the passenger seat, some of you guys some of you guys are guilty. I'm guilty of this sometimes. You, you guys ever break on the on the on the <laughs> on the passenger side like break the car? Because because we all we don't want to be out of control. At least we want a little bit of control we don't we don't like bad surprises we might like good surprises but we don't like bad surprises and all of us kind of desire to control things at some level or another and what gets difficult about this is when this propensity to kind of control things the small things in life like your nails or you know the cleanliness of your house or the way your suitcase is packed when the control factor kind of overflows from from possessions into into people and relationships is where we get into trouble right and so and so, there's, there's this, con, this control factor where it's maybe not as uh, blatant and obvious and overt, it's maybe a little more subtle and covert, but it's this thing where we sort of find ourselves meeting somebody that we think is important and all of the really important things we know and people that we know and things that we've done, they just start coming out of our mouth because we really, really want to control the uh, affirmation, you know, like the approval of the person that's there. or, or or there's this thing where um, somebody finally says something to you that is like a feedback loop, something negative to you at work, and you think to yourself, how come nobody ever told me this? Like, why has this been going on for three to six months? And they tell you the reason why is because anytime anybody would ever come to tell you this, they would not live to see the next day. And that's, that's why, because there's there's a reputation about this thing. There's, there's these, these 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 trigger points and and to these places that we try the kind of um, futile effort to control the small things, and sometimes the big things in life, this is what Jesus says to us in our passages "They blessed, blessed, blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the people that are, that are learning to let go of things. That, that are leaving, they're leaving space for God to do things and not trying to get ahead of him to make sure he doesn't mess it up. Blessed are, are, are the people that are, are getting into and closer to relationships knowing that they can hurt them in the relationship, but they do it anyways. Blessed are the people that aren't needing to spin the PR all the time. Blessed are the people that don't need to defend their reputation all the time. The people that are learning, he's saying there's a blessing to be had when there's a letting go, a leaving space for God. Blessed are the people that are learning that bribery and bullying is never part of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the people that are learning to leave space. Blessed are the people that are trusting God in the process. And so the map on the screen shows, at that period of time, an overlay of the Roman Empire. So everything in purple is owned by Rome. And it's actually not a huge amount of land, but what's most important is the area and the location of the land gave a a really military and economic strategic uh, establishment. It was 12% of the globe, which, relatively speaking, isn't the largest. I think it was like the 28th 28th largest empire of all time. But it was the access to waterways and the strategic place. For 721 years, it was the most powerful empire that it ever, the earth had ever seen up until this point. And so Rome had kind of established itself in the audience that uh, Jesus is speaking to in this Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and it was... It was it was rich, it was architecturally some of the most beautiful things that, you know, the world has ever seen, and militarily and functionally. It was um, the most organized society, and it gave the world the most clean water and the most structure and government and politics. And we look, you know, it's the foundation of a lot of even Western political thought. And, and it's even more densely populated, I read this week. It's eight times more dense than New York City. And And you can, and you can almost hear... As the people are sitting there on that mountain, as they're listening to Jesus talk, and you can almost hear the questions arise as Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I, I picture this guy who like, doesn't know enough not to ask the question that's what's on his mind, but if I was there or if you were there, maybe you would ask yourself this question. Jesus, how is that possible? Don't you know the Romans are inheriting the earth? Like like don't you see that this is completely counterintuitive to everything that has happened and is probably going to happen into the future? Don't you see that it's not it's like the exact opposite of what you're saying is happening? Like the surroundings of our world are completely counterintuitive to what you're saying. Don't you recognize that the meek don't inherit the earth? It's the exact opposite. Don't you it's the, Jesus can you do you not see like it's the Romans that inherit the earth? It's it's the military powerful, organized, heavyweight champions of the world, strong people of the earth. Maybe if he was here today, somebody would raise their hand and say, don't you know it's people that work for Instagram and retire at 30? Those are the people that, that, that inherit the earth. Don't you get it? Like, it's not the people in the minivans with the goldfish and the kid seat in the back. Those people aren't inheriting their phone bill, let alone the earth. The Romans inherit the earth. The, the, the empires inherit the earth. The strong inherit the earth. The alphas inherit the earth. The powerful, the mighty, the articulate, the organized, the, the, the well-dressed, the influencers inherit the earth. And, and Jesus said, no, I mean what I said. The strong the strong don't. I've seen the end of the story. I, I'm the alpha and the omega. I own it all and I know it all. And the strong, I know the end of the story. The strong don't inherit the earth. The meek inherit the earth. They're cutting up the pie, and they're taking what they can. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and they're going to have it for a day. But the meek are the ones. I've seen the end of the story. The meek inherit the earth. And so when he says this, it's actually a nod. It's like... Um i wrote it as it's, it's a it's a remez is a is a jewish term for like a 22 times in the gospel it's like a a lean or a nod towards something in the old testament or something that conventionally culturally people would have known like if i were to say for example you know ask not what you would do for your country you could I'll probably most of you fill in the rest of that sentence because it's so culturally ingrained and so when he says that people would have directly known about this psalm which i'll read to you and i'll read it, it's an entire it's 11 verses so bear with me But I think it can minister to us today to give us a foundation and a context for why Jesus' teaching is not just a pithy saying. This is the theological framework, what Jesus is teaching from. Psalm 37 reads like this. Do not fret, the psalmist says, of those who are evil or be envious for those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. I've seen the end. I've seen the beginning. I, I know the Alpha from the Omega. I know what the score looks like at halftime. But the, but the times, the ebbs and flows of time, they're going to meet their destiny. They're going to meet their culmination. And in the end, evil will live and be gone in a day. Green plants, like green plants, they're going to die and they're going to away. But trust in the Lord and do good. The story's not over yet. Trust in the Lord and do good. The culmination has not found its place yet. Trust in the Lord. There is a process. Trust in the Lord. He's telling a bigger story than the Romans. The Romans will rise and the Romans will fall again to give way to more Romans that will rise and fall again. But in the end, the earth is the Lord and everything is with it. So take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He's the only one that can. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust in Him and He will do this. Time is on your side. God is on your side. God is with you and God is for you covenantally. And as you follow Him and seek Him in kingdom first mentality, all things are chasing you. You won't chase the earth. The earth will chase you. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will do this thing. He will do we, these these nations. They rise and fall. They're a whisper in the in the in the anthology of time and history. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. As sure as the Lord is faithful, He will make your vindication like the noonday sun. Their their name that's on their lips towards you can't scathe the eternal name that's written in heaven about you. So your reputation doesn't belong down here. So it's not to be defended down here. Be still instead. Before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath and do not worry. It leads to evil for those who are evil will be destroyed. And those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. They'll inherit the land, the land doesn't really, it's owned and occupied for a season, but it's owned by the Lord. Everything's of the Lord's and he, he, is, he is inheriting it to the meek. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though we will look for them, they will be not found. Caesar will be not found. The emperor will not be found. These, these kingdoms and empires and strong and planned and motivated and getting up at four in the morning. Maybe that's a good thing. The empires and the earthly strength will not be found in a day that's coming, but the meek, the meek, the meek will inherit the land, so enjoy the peace and prosperity. This is the, the culmination, or the, the, the line that I have first. that Psalm 39 reminds us that ownership and occupation is temporary. Evil is here today and gone tomorrow, but the meek inherit the earth. When you let someone say something about you, and you don't clap back at them, you look like Jesus, and the earth is coming to you. When you let someone less qualified than you get promoted above you in your job and you bless them and help them as opposed to sabotaging them the earth is coming to you the earth is inherited by you the earth the 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 things that you need as we seek the kingdom first, all things are coming to us. We're inheriting the earth as we walk in this rhythm of meekness. When you have the ability to get away with something, but you don't, even though you won't get caught, the earth is coming to you. You're inheriting the earth. When someone asks you to gossip about somebody else that's not in the room and you say, I'm not going to tell you something bad about them to make you feel better about me, you're inheriting the earth. You're inheriting the earth. When, when, when Pontius Pilate, when, when the... The orders and the, the, um, the powers of society and Jesus' day spoke to him. He, he didn't defend himself. And as we, as we walk in meekness and don't defend ourselves and don't need to promote ourselves or don't need to defend ourselves, don't need to bribe or don't need to bully, we are walking as Jesus did and inheriting the things that Jesus has. You are inheriting the earth. You are following Jesus. And as we follow him, as we trust in him, as we delight, as the scripture says in Psalm 37, as we refrain from anger, as we hold our tongue, as we leave space for God to do what he's going to do, we won't have to fight for the things that we don't own in the first place. And we inherit the earth rather than trying to fight it, which we can't take anyways. And then he adds this to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Anybody here ever get hangry? You ever get just so hungry that you get angry and then you have to write an apology note to all of your family and friends? I'm sorry for the things I did when I was hungry. Sometimes you're, you're hungry and you don't even know it and you're just, you're just angry about it. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That the same way as you, you, you hunger for a Snickers bar at 4.30 in the afternoon or want to go to Starbucks or want to go you know, go to cookout. The way that you want to go to cookout right now, even as I'm preaching for too long, that's the kind of hunger he's saying the kingdom of God has for righteousness. And hunger matters because when we're in the supermarket and we're full, we don't buy anything. We don't buy enough stuff. But when you're, have you ever been so hungry you go to the supermarket and you're just buying everything? You're just putting all the junk food and all the Oreos and all the double stuff to everything you can get into the cart because you're so hungry? Appetite matters. If you're nauseous at a five-star restaurant, you could be in the middle of a great appetizing meal and you're not hungry for it. And so he's saying, blessed is the one who realizes they're empty of righteousness so that they can hunger for it. Because two people could be in front of the same meal and have the same opportunity, but the hungry will take it, whereas the full won't. And he's saying, blessed are the people that lay their head down at night and realize they're missing righteousness and hunger for it, that they might go and get it. Because hunger matters. Hunger will, will move you. appetite will move you. It moves you and me. But this is, I think, this kind of subversive message that he's saying to the, to the disciples and to us. It'll be on the screen. If, if we look at the, the, the overarching uh, theme of, 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 of the saying, of the blessing, of the beatitude, we can deduct this point, that Jesus' beatitude teaches us there is a false illusion that what fills us is what happens to us. But truly, what fills our soul is not what happens to us, but what we do with what happens to us fills our soul. So the, the, the restlessness when we lay our head down at night, the, the, the need and yearning for something else, something better, something more right, something more peaceful, something more, you know, appropriate, something more easy and copacetic, that hunger is actually a misplaced hunger because that, that circumstance fulfilled, he's saying, is not what actually fills hunger. What fulfills hunger is righteousness. So what our heart is actually crying out is not the circumstance was bend its will, but that that we would become the kind of righteous person in that circumstance that our souls might be filled. We don't, actually, we don't actually hunger that bullies would back down. Actually, that's our soul, what he's saying. Our soul is hungering to be the kind of person that isn't afraid of bullies anymore. Because bullies will always be bullies. But what's at stake and what's at hand and what gives us peace when we laid our head down tonight is not what the bully says to us. It's what do we do when the bully comes towards us. It's actually not the next promotion or the next thing that we want or need. Paul says, I've realized how to be content in all things. It's becoming the kind of person that can find joy and lack. That is what our heart is hungering for, not for the next provisional thing. And what he's saying is we'll always be hungry, we'll always be lacking. As long as we're waiting for the circumstance to fill us, we will always be hungry until we learn that our hunger is not for the circumstance, but our hunger is that we might be filled with righteousness. In all circumstances, in every situation, that we'd be, be, be becoming the kind of person we want to be. That we would live from the, from the value that God has put in us in the kingdom of, our, in, in the kingdom of, of God that's in our heart. This is the only thing that can satisfy. When we go to heaven and we go and meet Jesus face to face, he's not going to ask you what they did to you. He knows what they did to you. He knows the circumstance that you've been put in. He knows the tests. He knows the trials. And he's gone through those tests and trials. And he didn't succumb to them so that he might propitiate our sin and he might cover our sin and, and blanket us with his righteousness. And when we get here, the conversation will not be about our spouse and what our spouse did. The conversation is, will be, what did you do? What did you do with what I gave you? I know the opposition, but what did you do? What did you? What was your action? What was your... What was your motive? What was your heart? What was your intent? I know that there was tons of things you couldn't control, but there was something that you could control. Your your mouth, your attitude, your plan, your agenda, your heart. And your job wasn't to hunger for righteousness for them. Your job was to hunger for righteousness for you because that's the only place you will be filled. So he's saying to them, actually, everybody is blessed, not just people that go and try and learn how to be a better person in the next 90 days. It's people that recognize That there is a gap, there is a missing piece, and I've got too much to worry about my righteousness and where where I'm growing and and becoming the stature and the fullness of Christ, and and I've got no time really to waste about the righteousness of the world. He already told me that the world wouldn't be righteous. He already told me that it was going to come against me. He already told me there's going to be trouble. I've got too much time and too much work on my hands to be hungering and thirsting for my righteousness rather than thinking about somebody else's righteousness. So potentially we can correlate both of the Beatitudes this morning in one single sentence this way. Jesus may be saying to you that meekness and hunger is a blessing. Blessed are the meek and the hungry because they have resigned. This is why. They have have made this powerful decision to resign from the life of others' control to what? What? To give the attention to the only thing that's going to fill me in the first place, the hunger for a life of self control, which is the only thing that can fill me. I heard a Joel Osteen quote the other day. He said, Everybody wants to take the elevator, but following Jesus is taking the steps. It's, childlike, it's just the childlike steps. And we think that God's asking us to do great things with great faith, and, and really, the more common narrative of Monday through Friday, Sunday through Sunday is just doing small things with small faith and watching a big God do big things through small faith. And we've got our eyes all out here about what the world needs to do and, and, and what we're going to do in control in the world. And what Jesus is, is, is doing is just puts a mirror in front of us and saying, yeah, but it's going to start with you. You're you're transformed to the image of my son. You're the one who has the Holy Spirit within you. You're the one who can decide your hunger and appetite for what you're deciding for. You've got too much to deal with in here that you'd have to worry about out there hunger and thirst. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, to take the steps, to take the habitual, intentional steps. Maybe this is the intentional question for the week. What is something you can't control as you do an inventory on your personal life that you need to release to God? Maybe it's the approval of a friend. There's a release of that control of that friend. I I can't keep their attention. I can't keep their affection. They don't want to call me back. And it isn't mine to own. And so meekness looks like release. It looks like releasing things that we can't control. Maybe it's, it's reputation from the outside. And there's a PR, and they're saying things about you, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And they're saying wrong things, and some of them are right things, and there's nothing really to do. And and you just have to come to terms with the peace that God is owning it all, and your reputation is never marred by human lips in heaven. It's the expectation of a spouse. They will not fill you. It comes at the decision, they will not fill me. Only thing that will fill me is this right relationship with God and this right relationship with others. And I'm going to take what I can take in my next step. It's releasing your spouse. It's releasing the dreams of destiny of what you think that God's plan looks like for your life. It's releasing these things so you might grab hold of the very things. And what are the things that you can control that are small maybe and you think are insignificant but are incredibly powerful for your your, your destiny? It's the it's not the New Year's goals of what you want to do. It's the New Year's resolution of who you want to be on this life. When you lay your head down at night, what do you want, when you go to your deathbed, your kids to say about you? What do you want your spouse to say about you? I know the world is crazy, and I know that everything can be upside down, but what are you going to do about it? Maybe it's this hunger for, for compassion. You just come to this place and you say, you know, no, that's, that's not okay. It's not okay that when something wrong goes wrong, down for somebody else that I don't care, and I detach myself emotionally. That's not okay. I'm hungry for righteousness in that area. God, I don't know what to do, but I'm asking you to show me the step. I'm not looking at all this other stuff that's grabbing my attention. I can't control God. I'm going to take the thing I can control. I'm going to say, God, teach me compassion. It's not okay that my, uh, my introversion creates coldness between me and the people around me. They don't know where I'm coming from and they feel a fear and an uneasiness and it's damaging my relationships and I see other people that are warm and know how to communicate and I know that maybe that's just two left feet for me and I'll never quite be that you know, extroverted but, but God, show me my small step. Show me the one thing that I can do that can grow in this hunger for a right relationship with God and with others. I'm very, very short on time, so I'll have to skip straight to the very, very end um, of this message. But it's the simple question, what is something you can control and what is the thing you need to release to God? can't control and release to God. And what is something you can control and that you're taking responsibility for? What, is it, what, is, what does that look like? Jesus says, you know, in many portions of Matthew, one of the things it says is, is if you have something against a brother or somebody has something against you that you would lay your gift at the altar and go and talk to that, talk to that person. And you'll notice as you read it in Matthew 5, I don't have time to, to read it right now, that it didn't involve the brother coming to say sorry first. It didn't involve um, the, the promise that everything was going to work out in the end. It just involved your feet. It just involved your steps. It just involved what you were going to do, regardless of what other people were going to do. This is what meekness and hungering for righteousness would look like. Another part of the gospel, he talks about um, blessed are those, pe- you know, these people that, that, that move from the place of other judgment, other people judgment, and move to the place of self-reflection. Instead of trying to pick out specks in other people's eyes, going back to this place of where's the plank? Where's the plank? And so it's laying down the judgment and the condemnation of others and hungering for righteousness. It, it looks like saying, okay, where, where am I growing? Where's there grace needed in my life? The last one I had down here is this this saying that Jesus says is don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about these things. Don't you know you matter more than the lilies and matter more than the birds? And so maybe laying down this week, laying down uh, things that aren't in control means stuff, means circumstances, worry. And instead, saying, my job's not to worry. My responsibility is to trust. So maybe it's just the simple words like that, but I'll, I'll lay down my worry and instead take on my trust of Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand and the band will come forward as we close in worship this morning. But we want to close every message in this series with a gospel proclamation. And so if you've never heard the gospel before, if you need reminded of what the gospel is, this is what the gospel means to us. In 2019, it's more relevant than ever. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to rescue us from spiritual death into spiritual life. We're not giving good advice. This Bible that we read is not good advice. It is good news. It is raising people from spiritual death into spiritual life. We can't walk the steps that the Bible is asking us to do. We can't hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we can't grow in meekness except for the power of God. And so this is where it all starts in prayer, not in prayerlessness, but in prayer we say, I can't, but you can. I need you, and so I come to you for help. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. Moses can't do it. The law can't do it. Andy Stanley can't do it. I need Jesus to bring me out of spiritual death into spiritual life. And so this is what the gospel means in a nutshell. Jesus loves us. It's relational, and he died for your sins. He knows you, he names you, he speaks to you, he whispers to you, he knows you from the inside out and still loves you deeper than anyone has ever loved you before. And so, and so through faith, through grace and through faith alone, through that attraction that he has to you, even in this moment, He is inviting you through the blood of Jesus to come close to him and begin a spirit-filled, inside-out, transformational life. Nothing else can compare and nothing else can replace this thing. And I want to invite you that if you have never heard that before, never thought about it, or never responded to it, I would encourage you to respond to it today with just a simple prayer. The Bible says that if you believe on him unto faith, that you will not die. You will live and you will have eternal life in Jesus Christ, eternal life and abundant life. And I want to invite you to do that through prayer as well as the celebration of the gospel um, from from every man, woman, and child in this room. And so Jesus, we thank you for the gospel, which is the good news for all people, not just Christians. The good news is the gospel is good news for all people. And and what I read and what I see in this Bible is the scripture is telling us that, that God has not left us alone. He has a plan. He's moving towards us, not away from us. And he is doing what we can't do. He's transforming us from the inside out so that we would look like Christ and be with him forever. And so if you have never responded to that in prayer, I just invite you to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't be without you. I want to be close to you. And because of your son, which I accept in faith, as the forgiveness of my sin, I'm moving towards you through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, we thank you, we're excited to respond in worship. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus, who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.